You're listening to On Human Rights, where we bring you interviews from experts around the world. We highlight the latest and most interesting trends and bring you information on human rights and international humanitarian law. My name is Anna Osuska and we are broadcasting from the Raoul Wallenberg Institute in Lund, Sweden. Today we will be talking to Morten Koch Andersen, who is the Deputy Research Director at the Raoul Wallenberg Institute, specializing in the nexus between human rights and corruption. Uh, just to get started uh, with the topic, could you please shortly explain what corruption is and what it can look like? Well, corruption is a, a concept and a practice. I mean, it's a, it's a political concept that we use to understand societies. It is a legal concept which we use in conventions and, and, and laws. And it's a social practice that people do in everyday life. So corruption is kind of a multifaceted a uh, uh, thing or phenomena that we can um, that we can explore and and and, and investigate in real life. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what are some examples of corruption, or what can it look like for people in their everyday lives? Mm. Everyday, I mean, corruption is an everyday phenomenon. I mean, it it it's a phenomenon that affects all in society, from the from the richest to the poorest. Um, we can say that the, the most obvious forms of corruption that we see is the one that affects the poorest in society most, which is about access to social services, for instance. It is about, uh, for instance, if you want to get your passport, if, if, and you have to pay for that. If you are arrested and you, for some uh, things you have done or not done, then you need to be freed again from, from, from detention, you have to pay the police. So uh, these kind of... If, corrupt practices, these are very visible and affect everyday people uh, in their daily life. But then we have the high-level corruption, which we often see in media, right? When, when uh, some politician steals some great amount of money from the, from, from the state coffers. So it's, it's a very kind of diverse concept and it has different effects on different people uh, based on their position in society. Mm-hmm. Uh, and... So you research the connection between human rights and corruption. So what is the connection between the two and which rights would you say are the most impacted Mm. by corruption? I can say I started out researching torture and human rights. And while doing that, I saw, like many of the activists already know around the world, that most uh, victims of police violence or state violence are poor people and they are being tortured on an everyday everyday scale. I mean, they're not like tortured by by a sophisticated means, but they're beaten up in detention. And to avoid being beaten up in detention, you have to pay the police officers. And it's very systematized in many societies where uh, the police, often they will arrest young men doing some some call, some kind of uh, criminality or just being a young man. And then they will be arrest them and they will call up the family and say, well, we got your, you got your son. If you don't pay, things will happen. Um, and that was kind of the start of me trying to understand the relationship between corruption and human rights. But it also has the effect that, let's say that it's a hugely corrupt society where you, where your access to social services depends on what you can pay for. So that is another way of the impact. And then, of course, we have the, the, the high-level corruption when money is stolen away from the, um, from the state and they are not able to provide social services to people. So you see, there's very many levels of rights that are being violated through corruption. 
So how would you then say that corruption prevents states from fulfilling their human rights obligations? Well, it's very kind of, it's, it's direct in one way and indirect in another way, right? So, so it's very direct when you allow police to do extortion of the population. And we see that in many cases and around the world that the state, I mean, the politicians, the parliament allows police to do this because they will be commissions to do other work for the elites um, as well. Um, so in that sense, I think that the human rights and the connection to corruption is kind of dominant and you can't really escape it in any kind of analysis you make of, of any society and you try to ad address the issues that are difficult, then you will always come and enter into a discussion about corruption and the way in which it impacts society. And that definitely prevents the states from, from fulfilling their obligations because there is no capacity and there is no willingness to do that. And who, in your opinion, are the victims of corruption and who would you say is the most affected by it? Mm. So are certain groups affected more than others, perhaps? Yes, I mean, there's no doubt that the, the poorest and the most marginalized people in society are, of course, uh, affected the most because when you have a corrupt society, those that can massage and maneuver the system are those with resources. It could be financial or it could be political. Um, and, and they will, of course, benefit from a system that they can massage and maneuver right, for their own, um, for their own uh, benefits. And of course, those who can't will be the victims. I mean, they can't do anything to, let's say, to have uh, ordinary criminal justice or ordinary justice because they can't even access the systems of justice because they are being corrupted. So you have to pay to access it. So in that sense, it's very, I mean, it's very dominant that these are, uh, these are processes and these are uh, ways of organizing society that, that affects those in the margins the most. Mm -hmm. And would you say that certain groups of rights are affected more than others? So for instance, it, yeah. it's economic and social <laughs> are affected more than... No, it's very difficult, rights. right? Because it, it kind of affects everything because it affects society, the core of society, right? It affects mm -hmm. the relationship between state and, and citizens, right? And some citizens are not even regarded as citizens because they are not even allowed to access state services, right? So they're mm -hmm. kept out of what you call the citizenship, right? Active citizenship. So in a sense, I mean, that is the uh, kind of the, the crux of the matter, right? That is the center of the problem is that this corruption affects everything in society and it also affects all rights right some of the rights are more visible right and other rights are not but for instance it's very difficult to see the relationship between that a, a some kind of elite person maybe a politician will steal a lot of money from the state right and send it off to a tax haven somewhere we can't see the effect of the missing money can we it's very difficult to see oh if we had this money then social services or health services would be better yes it's very difficult to make that connection right but we do know that without the money there would be no health services right yes. but we don't know the quality of what what could have been improved that money could also have been used for military we don't know so these connections are very difficult to make right but we do know that those in the end their their the right to health will be violated because the services would not be up to quality and standards so what are some of the biggest challenges, in your opinion, in eradicating corruption? Mm, and uh, as I said in the beginning, it's, a, it's, 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 it's on very many layers, right? So it's also on the social layer, and it's on the political layer, and it's on the legal layer, right? The legal, we have the legal, we have the laws, right? It's all established and we just need to enforce them. And that's the real problem here. Because in some societies where we have systematic corruption, it's also become part of the social fabric, the ways in which 
you conduct yourself in society. Let's say I want to have my children at a, at a school, at a, maybe at a good school, then of course I need to pay the headmaster to be able to do that. And I mean, that is a very dominant feature in many societies, right? Um, so that is one side of the problem. Then we have the other side of the issue is that this connects to, to, to power and politics at a very high level. And it all depends, I mean, the bureaucracy is in between, in the middle, right? They're kind of in between the, 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 these processes and they do what they are, you could often say they should do at least, with the, what they are supposed to do within a bureaucracy. But to do that, we need some kind of the top would actually send down the message and now follow the law, follow the process, follow the procedures. And in many societies, they are being told differently. So it all ends up, you can always say, where, where's the real problem? The real problem is always with the elites, right? Mm -hmm. With the political level. And we often talk about political will, but here I, I would rather talk about political wills because there are many people involved in this. And it's very difficult for them to to give away their privileges, right? Because they can maneuver and massage the system to their benefit. So how do we actually persuade them not to do that and act according to, I mean, moralities and laws and ethics and all that? That's yeah. very difficult. Oh, that also brings me to the second question a little bit I was going to ask. So who, who is actually responsible for tackling corruption and what is the best way forward in this? Mm -hmm. In the end it is politicians. That is the ones that we vote for and give them the responsibility to take care of the state for us, right? So, yes. and in the end it is, the, it has to start there. And, and if it doesn't, then we do know who to blame. Yes. I mean, it's very difficult to blame a civil servant somewhere because they're caught in a system, right? Yes. And some people have to engage in corrupt practices if they want to have a career or they want to have a job. So, so it's difficult for them to push them while the top level is actually disregarding the law on an everyday basis. So we need to have the top level, and I'm talking about politicians and the, the elites, also the business elites and other people that are influencing most societies, that they come on board, that this is best for all. Mm -hmm. Not just best for them, but it's best for yes. all. And we do know that, that the countries with less corruption is also countries where there are uh, greater social services, more mm -hmm. democracy, participation, voice and all that. Yes, so how do you think this can be done on the international level? How can we force the politicians and the elites to mm. follow the rules? Exactly, <laughs> that's a very difficult uh, question, right? Because we have it also with the human rights vocabulary, right? Could we, can we, should we engage with countries with a poor human rights record? Uh, and similar here, should be engaged with countries with a very poor corruption record. Um, and, and the argument is that in the international system, yes, we should. I mean, we cannot say no to engagement with people because that's the way we, we influence people and we do trade and all that. So it's very difficult from, from that angle to push other countries to do stuff. And, and, but we can set some principles that what we want to accept. And one of the things that I think we should, uh, we should do is we should not accept that we have tax havens. I mean, the money from the high-level corruption disappears somewhere and it disappears to tax havens. So we should, we should not allow that on an international scale and we could do that, right? So that is one thing, right? We could make the banks disclose what they have and, and make it public in a way, or maybe at least some kind of scrutiny for the authorities that they can see where the money is. So if money is being stolen somewhere and put in a country, then we can get it back. Um, and right now that's a huge challenge. I know there are uh, this asset recovery. There's a lot of, right now because of the Ukraine war as well, there's a lot of discussions on that, how to do that. 
Um, but but um, that is a problem that we haven't solved yet, also not legally. Um, then, of course, I mean, changing society is always a people issue, right? It must be the people in that, within that society that changes the conditions of their life. So that must be the thing that has to happen. But we've had the average spring. I mean, it started out with a criticism of elite uh, nepotism and elite uh, corruption in Tunisia. And now we end up with a almost a, a coming dictatorship in Tunisia, right? So, so how to do that? I mean, the, Ukraine started out also, the first revolution there was actually against corruption in society. Let's see how that ends up. But we have had uh, examples of societies that are moving away from highly corruption, highly corrupt bureaucracies and, and towards states that adhere to the rule of law. So it can happen, but mm -hmm. it has to be <laughs> pushed within the countries, yeah, because the legal frameworks are all there, international standards are all there. Mm -hmm. Uh, we need to stop tax havens and we need to, to uh, make banks and uh, all these uh, uh, companies that are involved in that sector to, to live up to their, to their obligations within the human rights uh, that many of them also uh, adhere to and have uh, policies and business and human rights, actually to do it in practice. So that is what we can do. It's very difficult for us to think about changing any other country than the country where we live in. Thank you. And uh, now going more to the to your work here at the institute and your research, how does this uh, help counteract corruption? Well, it 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 um, it's a difficult question again because what we are trying to do is that we connect the two dots, right? So it's two different uh, two different conventions in a sense, um, and it's two different kind of vocabularies that we try to bring together. And these have been separated, right, into two different co conventions and to two different vocabularies. But we that in reality, they're always very closely connected. But it also comes down to that we have two different institutions within countries that are responsible for it, right? We often have an anti-corruption commission and we have a human rights commission. These two do not necessarily talk, right? But they have different avenues of legal accountability. But bringing them together the legal accountability becomes even greater, right? So this is much of what we do. We try to bring these two uh, uh, agendas together. Um, often cases of human rights violation will involve um, um, corruption and vice versa, right? So it also brings in uh, another perspective on a corrupt case if it also becomes a human rights violation, right? There are different avenues where you can go. If you saturate your, your domestic, legal system, then you can go to, to the international systems. It is more difficult within the field of, of corruption, but in corruption, we have much greater criminal accountability. We have a different instrument. So bringing them together actually bring, gives us a quite potent uh, um, instrument we can work with. So this is what we are trying, right? So trying to investigate what is there, make studies, and then when we find issues, then bring the two together and make both institutions work uh, in their local context. And of course, it's very much about um, exposing, investigating what is there in that particular setting. Uh, and that has to be, you can do it, journalists can do it very fine and all right, uh, and they can expose a lot of things, but to do a proper investigation in terms that can be used for, let's say, a case, uh, it's, a, it's a different layer of, mm -hmm. of investigations that needs to be done. And this is the kind of, of support we are trying to give. 
also to my to support like um, judges and prosecutors that there is this relationship and there are different legal avenues they can choose to take when they bring the cases forth in court. So it's very much a mentality uh, mm -hmm. project, right? Trying to get people to understand that we separated it, but actually it, it is it is a it's a thing that is together. The problem is uh, already. Uh, I mean, enmeshed into each other. And when we separate it, we shouldn't do that, right? So we, we, we can bring it together and then we have better, at least better tools. Let's see if we have better results. That we don't know. Mm -hmm. Thank you very much.